Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. G'day everybody, welcome back to the pod for another week. I'm Matt Walsh here with Jake Michaels and champion data's Christian Jolly to talk all things footy. If to get to this week, as always, we take a look at the bottom 10 teams and those we're bullish on next year. While we also revisit the premiership standards, which we've banged on in this podcast about a few times. We're going to chat all Australian and a little bit of AFLW with some news to come on that front as well. Jake, welcome to you. Do we think it's fair to say the AFL waiting until three weeks before round 24 to release the final round fixture was just a complete waste of everyone's time and effort? Well, no, you were you were um, crushing the AFL for this for just weeks release in the it. lead up. Fans can't get to games if they don't know when their team's playing. Like it well, just yeah, didn't but... make that much of a difference. I think the the games that mattered had the crowds were fine, but it was. It, I think the AFL wants to and rightly wants to make sure that the final round is as exciting as it so can be. So we got be. a seventy point blowout on Friday night with a team that absolutely cracked the bed yeah, after the announcement. I'm not saying that um, it was a great round of football. In fact, it was one of the worst rounds of football of the season, truth be told. <laughs> but they've they had to set it up in such a way to create excitement in the final. Round on the final match day. Um, you know, if back, back yourselves, back yeah, your fixtures. The problem makers. was the same thing happened last year, and no one, no one cared because it ended up being an epic end to the season. If it had been the same this year, if you're going to go off a vibe, just make it six weeks out, and that way at least players have, have players t- fans have enough time to sort of organise themselves. Whereas it was like two, two and a half weeks out. You just you're just uh, thinking what, about salty the... about North Melbourne Gold no, Coast. No, was I'm thinking of the there. fans. Yeah, that was a bit grim, wasn't it? Yeah, but I mean, if they they could have they could announce that five years out and there'd still be 400 <laughs> people there. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, before we crack into things, uh, something you noticed from the weekend of footy, Jake might throw it back to you. Uh, a bit of a sad one, I think today. Um, special shout out to Jake Malksham. I think what he's been able to do over the last. Well, this year really, but particularly this, the back half of the year. Well, when he's in the team, playing yeah. an, a great role on on the opposition's probably most important defender, but also being able to work off them, hit the scoreboard, and be you know at times like playing as a key forward. He's been the focal point of the forward line. He's really established himself in that team and become one of their most important unheralded players. To do an ACL on the weekend was heartbreaking for him. I guess to cap it off as well, it's today, the Tuesday, the 29th of August, is his 32nd birthday. Older than I thought he was. Mm. I thought he was probably 29, 30. Um, so to turn 32 today, add another year on. I mean, it's I don't want to say... It's a terrible time to do an ACL. Like, it's a, there's no good time, but no, it is bad because you miss the final series and then you, the whole next season yeah. is... You know, so I don't want to I don't want to be too down, but have we seen these him play his last game? Could be. I mean, the shame of it is he was actually the catalyst for a discussion of a of a of a piece we were going to write. Hundred percent, right? he was. It was. It was. I know X Factor is overused quite a bit, and no one really knows what the true, um, what it actually means. Yeah. But he has been, in my eyes, what an X Factor player is. Someone you probably don't expect playing a role above and beyond, and when they're at their best, they can spark a win. And he's done that multiple times. He did it. He did it last year as well mm. against the Blues. There's two players I think. He's, you know, Finn McGuinness has got a lot of uh, exposure and credit in the last five or six weeks, but there's probably two players that are doing it earlier. One, no one speaks about, Darcy Byrne-Jones for Port, what he was able to do as that negating forward and hit the scoreboard. And then Jake Malksham's done it for the second half of the year, sort of locked down on guys like Callum Wilkie, Harris Andrews, as you said, but also hit the scoreboard and kicking two or three goals against them. So keeping those guys honest, but it's been a very important role because, again, we spoke about about round 17, round 18, how intercept markers were taking over the competition. Jake Malcolm and Darcy Byrne have been those, those types of players. To, yeah, exactly. And is it a newer account. sort of role or position that we're seeing? I think a little bit. I mean, we've always had a defensive forward um, that probably will play on a more running defender, but this is a defensive forward that's playing, you know, as an aerial threat. So you'll watch Malcolm, he'll lead to the pockets, he'll lead up outside the 50, and it's to take Harris Andrews and Callum Wilkie out of the hole and things like that. So it's a very important role. You've got to got to try to win the ball yourself, but you've got to be obviously aware of where your opponent is and trying to keep them as close to you as possible. Mm. Not going too far, uh, not getting too far ahead of ourselves, but if the D's win the flag this year, oh, I can, that gu- chat will come I up can again. guarantee you that chat yeah. will start again. Hey, and I'm in favour of it, so getting in there early. Uh, Christian, something from the weekend that you noticed. Yeah, so if you go back to last week's pod, we spoke about finals footy and, and yes. sort of what ramps up at finals time Certainly compared to home and away. Four, I have thought. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's exactly. I think we've found a th- sort of a third level of footy, and I, I would call it, yeah, the final round. Bruce free footy? Final round footy or round 24 footy, uh, if you will. So, it was bad. Yeah, yeah, this weekend, it was the most disposals we've had in any round this season. <laughs> third highest disposal efficiency, most marks, most uncontested possessions. <laughs> 
fewest free kicks and the second fewest stoppages. The only round that had fewest stoppages was round one. Right. So again, round one, everyone's sort of up and about playing some good footy and, you know, trying to get the skills and, and mm. you know, not a lot of lockdown defensive stuff. And then round 24, it all opened up again. So we'll go through some of the game-by-game stats later, but fair to say there's a fair really? fair bit of uh, bruise-free going circle work going through, yeah, yeah. through those I games. I think there are a few players as well taking the you-know-what. I mean, we saw Tex. Tex. And... Oh, that was going to be my something I noticed. I've got something better now, but that was going to be... He was incredibly yeah. selfish. And I... you know what? Because his team was out of contention, they were going to post the win. Yeah, I think you, give him a bit, you give him a pass, Mark. He's not like that. You know, every game. But he burns them teammates. Oh, he did. So, uh, Isaac Smith was similar to... I know it was his last game, but it was just... <laughs> he was just running around there, kind of just... Taking the P1. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Christian, something I noticed. So the Giants were 15th on the ladder, so bottom four after round 12. The Blues were 15th after round 15. And the Swans were 15th as late as round 17. That's crazy. Right? So these three teams that are now in finals were all bottom four um, in the second half of the year, really. Mm. This seems unique. Am I way off base by by saying this? Oh, very unique. I mean, we've had three teams do it, as you said. Giants, Sydney, Carlton have all sat at least 15th, um, you know, in the later stage of the season. So going back to 2000, there's only really been two teams that have been in the bottom four after the first half of the season and made finals. So that was Richmond, who were as low as 15th, uh, 16th in round 14 in mm. 2014, made it to the final uh, elimination final, Father's Day against Port Adelaide. and. Oh. And got beaten over there quite easily. Beaten, and, and quite it quick, Yeah, got beaten quite quickly, blown out of the water. Uh, and Sydney in 2017, after starting 0-6, and six, um, back I think when we spoke, we first started the podcast, we were keeping a watch on them as being one of the first finalists, or first teams to make mm. it from 0-6. and six. Um, They were still 15th at round 12 that year and made finals. Sure, so I that. only had it happened twice in the last 22 years, yet we've happened... It's happening three times this year. In the one season. Yeah. And you know what? They're all live chances to win. I think the, the Blues and the Swans is closer to a 50-50 than what most people think. And, well, the Giants were a, an extra kick away from hosting the Saints up in uh, Western Sydney instead of having to travel to the G. Mm, so, surprise. Haven't seen the odds today, but uh, when they first were posted, mm. I must say I was surprised to see the Giants as the outsider in that game. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of the Giants and, well, teams that uh, have not quite made it after being in the bottom four and the bottom ten, there are uh, the season is over for ten teams. So the Dogs, mm. the Crows, the Bombers, the Cats, the Tigers, the Dockers, the Suns, the Hawks, the Roos, and the Eagles all on Mad Monday. And we've already seen some Mad Monday uh, antics from the Cats. What, yeah. what did you make of that? I I must say, I didn't love the, oh, really? the, the poking fun at the Ben Key situation. I thought that was... You're a curmudgeon about this, not aren't poor you, taste, but... So it was Isaac Smith, Cam Guthrie, and Tom Hawkins. So none of them, obviously, like... It's not as if one of them's been a former teammate or something like that. Or I mean, I don't know. They might be friends off the field. We don't know. But Mm. um, I don't know. I just thought it was a a little too soon to to make that sort of joke. Especially when we we now learn... Well, especially now that we know that had that result been flipped and everything else stays the same, that they would have made it. So, Yeah. yeah, I... I thought that was a little bit crossing a little bit of a line. Poor taste. What about Grind Myers? Oh, Is that he? was funny. That yeah. was good, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. They always pull out some good um, ones. They do well, the cats. Oh, they embrace it. Um, yes, but their season is over. A little bit mm. premature compared to um, to recent seasons, at least. But if you had to have a look at those those 10 teams, so all, all the way from the Dogs to the Eagles, are there teams you're more bullish on going into next year compared to others? Well, the one I probably was... And I still am, but I think uh, round 24 probably leaves a little bit of a sour taste in the mouth going into the off-season. The Hawks. Mm. I don't think that's... I think there are a lot of people that were impressed with what they've seen by Hawthorne, particularly in the second half of the year, and particularly with the young midfield. Um, the loss to Freo wasn't great. It was one of the one of their poorer performances of the year. Um, but I think there's reason for optimism. And, and you look at some of the teams above them, um, and you think, they should be better than them next year. And when I'm talking about teams like Essendon, Richmond, yeah. even Frio, who beat them. I think there's real room for, for growth for the Hawks in the next 12 to 24 months. There are a few teams on that list where you can't help but think that things could get worse before it gets better. And it, mm. it's sort of hard to think about a team that finished on the bottom of the ladder. But we've been talking about this for a while, that the Eagles are going to have to continue going through a list reshape with older, experienced veterans who are obviously quite talented still going out. Mm. Uh, and we've seen a few of those retire this season already uh, and being replaced by, you know, question marks at this stage. Uh, so it might get tougher for the Eagles, would you believe? You know, a team that's suffered seven 100-point losses this season, or six, something like that. It's been, um, it's been, it's been unreal. But then you also look at the Bombers, and, and 
Jake, you were kind of going through the list earlier today before we were uh, jumping on for the pod, and it's it's just not that deep, really, is it? Oh, it's not at all. Um, I think so. I guess probably a slice of good news for the Bombers, it looks like Darcy mm. Parrish will stay. Um, Might have happened by the time you listen to this, who knows? Which is um, just, you know, contrary to what a lot of people will say about Parrish, I think that is a massive win um, for him to stay and potentially sign a long-term deal with the club. He's a very important player, one of the best centre clearance, uh, well, the best centre clearance player over the last three years and a great ball winner, as we know. Um, look, they've got, with Parrish and Merritt, they've got two good, two good dynamic midfielders, but it's just the outside and everywhere, everywhere else, and I think they're lacking in so many areas. Mm. And the players that they've brought in from other clubs, Shield, Setterfield, Wright, you know, really struggled uh, this year, both to get to play and, and just when he was on the park. Um, you know, there's a lot of players that they've brought in that just haven't really lived up to what they've expected. Even Wiedemann as well. Just and they're not getting enough contributions um, across their 23. I agree with. You. I think you're a little bit harsh on Peter Wright, who led the goal kicking last year, almost I think 50 goals. So I think he gets a little bit of a pass because it was just a, an injury disrupted season for mm-hmm. him. But so looking at Essendon, Hawthorne, and West Coast, and trying to compare the three. Essendon and Hawthorne have a style that they're trying to perfect. Hawthorne and well, almost both of them, ball movement, just ultra-fast ball movement, being able to go end-to-end, do it really, really well. Hawthorne have got to get their contest and defensive stuff in order, and probably Essendon as well. But there's a clear focus on what they're doing well, and they rank top three or top two in a number of areas. West Coast are the one for me as an analyst, just trying to figure out where is their starting point. You're right, Matt. Their, their list is in such a bad shape and such a bad turnover. I can't even see a a sort of signature of what they mm. might be out. You know, are they going to start defensively? Are they going to start offensively? Are they just going to be a good pressure team? Are they going to be a good contest team? Mm. Nothing is sort of working for them at the moment. So Hawthorne Essendon, you can see their progression. West Coast is still in that rut of you don't know who's going to be in their best 22 next year and you sort of don't know what game style is going to suit them. Bombers too also finished bottom four in points against. So they were just so leaky. The last two rounds, nearly 200 yeah, cumulative so the, margin. Um, Brandon Zwick Thatcher might be on the move. So they're really lacking in the that sort post of defensive. Five. Post There's five, a little bit was... of... Brad Scott in that too. If you go back to when he took over North Melbourne early days, he gets the offense right. Yeah. He, he lets the offense play out, get everyone sort of playing good footy. It probably He's again need pieces though. I it's know not just... it's one of the and we've you know we debated this back. Uh, I think when Bolton took over Carlton, Carlton they were really defensive minded. Yep. You look at which players seem to enjoy more. It seems to be if you're given an offensive game style, the players just seem to look a bit more as if they're enjoying it and look a lot less stressed. But then it is. It's it's within two or three years you've got to start bringing that defensive element, which will be the next step for uh, Brad Scott. I mean, the the thing that you... Or the, the number I look at, which is concerning, I mean, the percentage being under 90, the fourth worst in the league, is we always say percentage is a great indicator of how a team's gone. Especially because, you know, the Bombers, you can say, well, they won 11 games. Well, six of them were against the bottom four. Yeah. Um, but the fact that post-buy... Um, ranking last for points against, so the leakiest um, team, and second last for points scored. So they're conceding more than anybody, and they're not scoring. They're not scoring. Um, that's a really worrying trend in it's the last that you know, 10, 11 games of the season. 51 goals for the year. Yeah. I mean, Langford's a bit, obviously a big tick, um, but there aren't, there aren't many for the Bombers. And, and Richmond, you know, Richmond is in a similar position, I think. Um, you know, but Richmond obviously clearly had the recent success, but... Um, I think Richmond's another team that's more likely to be finishing in the bottom four or five teams and challenging for finals next year. Dogs, just really quickly. Any thoughts? Might lose Bailey Smith as well. So, you know, you take yeah, Dunkley I mean, out of the midfield. You haven't played McCray. Well, he's been down. And suddenly Bailey Smith's on the move. I know that he didn't play specifically in the midfield as much this season, if if really, rarely ever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you're taking another piece out of that team. All of a sudden it falls more on Bont and Libra. And I don't know. I just the, You saw the cracks here. They missed finals this year. Big disappointment given where you kind of look at the list and think it might be at, but um, you know they they really struggled. Yeah, I don't expect a, a significant rise or drop from the dogs. I think they're going to stay around that spot where they are, around about the midfield to team. Twelve. Yeah, I yeah. think that's where they are. I can't see them dropping off a cliff at, like I can with other teams, but I also can't see them making a jump to the top four next year. Will they play finals? Possibly. I wouldn't be surprised if they finish seventh or something like that next year, but. Yeah, they they're another team that have plenty of plenty of um, and and we say Tom Liberatore has been so good as has Marcus Bond and Pally that they have papered over a lot of the cracks, particularly in that midfield. We've spoke about the loss of Josh Dunkley, um, how significant that was, and then players like Lockie Hunter that they've lost and potentially Bailey Smith, Jack McRae's mm-hmm. regret, you know, regression. So the midfield, they two years ago we we're talking about is this the best midfield we've ever seen assembled? 
Now it's all just falling apart. Yeah. Uh, what else? What other teams? Crows? Crows on bullish on. Yeah, Crows are the, the obvious one for me. Obviously, we just spoke about change of results and change of fortunes <laughs> would have got them there this year. But again, talk about uh, signature and progression. They started as a really, really hard to play against team contest-wise last year, really hard to move the ball against. They freed up their games a little bit this year, got a little bit easier to move the ball against, but they didn't become a bottom four team in, mm. in defending ball movement, mm. but became the number one uh scoring side for points four and sort of the most potent team going inside 50 so they've gone year one or you know first first phase under Knicks was yep let's just get our contest and our structures right to be hard to play against and now they've been able to free up and actually get a uh, start to hit the scoreboard um step three next year is to to put those two games together become a you know like what Collingwood did early in the season start to win contest Mm. the possession get a dominant midfield going and you know you've got a forward line that's going to kick a score the two teams I'm fascinated by uh, that didn't that didn't make finals this year for next year that we haven't touched on yet, Geelong. Yeah. Um, given obviously going from premier to falling the propensity out, propensity to top up is to always... what to what happens. It's it, that's the thing. Is it do they top up again and and continue as they have done for you know decade and a half, or do they actually now start to fall backwards? Um, and the Suns, you know, mm, new coach. What, what is eighty percent of that premiership list? Assemble? Gee, I, f- I mean, maybe North is that good. <laughs> I mean, uh, fascinating to see what happens with the Suns next year. It'd be interesting to see how um, how Damien Hardwick wants this side to play. The off-season for them is fascinating for me. If if a name like that can attract players uh, and, and prevent those that might want to leave from mm. leaving, because everyone sort of says, oh, he's, a, he's a, an A-grade coach, he's the big name, players will want to play on him. Let's see if it's actually true, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, there were a few little wins in the back half of the year for the Suns. Um, I think I think Lukosius gets a tick for the year. Um, Sam Flanders going mm. into the midfield, just you know, a player like I kind of compared him to someone like Darcy Parrish, someone who had spent a bit of time off half forward and half back, and just couldn't really find his feet into the midfield, and it was just like instant, just hit the ground running. And he's been he's probably been their best player in the last six weeks, to be completely honest. Um, you know, we've spoken about Anderson and Raul and uh, Miller as well. Uh, I think if they can have all those guys playing at the same time, there's enough to work with. I, I think the 80% call is over the top, as we said at the time, but there's enough for them to be challenging for finals at the very least until the final round of the season. Um, they can't afford another slow start. Like, we, we're. I don't want to stick the boots in too much, but. They're not an expansion team anymore. What is what will next year be? Year 13? 12, 13 it's yeah. like they're t- they still haven't played final. They still haven't really been a, a better than 50% chance at any Fish point of playing year. final. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's like you look at the, the season and you think, no, it, was, it wasn't too bad. It's like, well, still bottom four finish. Yeah, uh, well, an interesting draft period, at least for them. We know that the the draft is going to be um, quite Should interesting because a number of yeah. uh, academy players and prospects. Yeah. Um, if you need a bit of a, a refresher on the first round, Jasper Chalipa, who's going to be on the pod next week, uh, he's released a bit of a state of play on the website, so espn.com.au forward slash AFL. Speaking of the website, uh, our All-Australian team, Jake, along with uh, esteemed colleague Jared Barker, who tried to sneak a few too many hawks in there. Yeah, he just trying to make to... up for his... Uh, <laughs> Uh, he, um, we, we've got that coming out tomorrow. That's Wednesday. So if you want to check that out, uh, probably about the same time as the actual AFL's All Australian will come out. But the squad has been announced as well. Has you got some thoughts? Oh, not that we'll run through I, all forty-four names here. You can look at no, those we're not going to go but... through them all. But oh, where do you want to start? I mean, I think that when these lists come through, you know, the names, the forty-four names, the first thing everyone says is who is the player that's most unlucky to miss out not yeah. congratulations to this guy or he's done snubs. well it's Loves a snub. snub it's just always you're looking through to find players that aren't there um and the plan we may all have a different one but i think the name that i'm just staggered is not there and by no means am i saying that he should be in the final team because i don't th- he it wouldn't be in my final team but to not be in the 44 best players of the season is egregious that's tim taranto you know, we're talking about halfway point of the year. We're talking about this guy winning the Brownlow Medal, the best recruit of years. Um, and you look at the end of his season. I know he tailed off a bit in the last sort of six weeks, but 
what is this? Is this recent? Are we looking at is it recency bias or does the last does the last month of football matter more than the first three months? <laughs> well, because it certainly seems that way. Christian, you have a little bit to do with the All Australian. Well, at least Champion Data does. Not anymore. Uh, oh, okay. Well, you you know that there are meetings, Got rid and of facilitations, <laughs> yeah. and all. No, that well, that I, stuff, again, so. I sort of just want to put out. I did hear something about you know Champion Data help select this team. No, they. they but you are you are you are available to the selectors if they require help in in what they want to ask you probably in in a loose sort of sense i mean the the all australian selectors are all working in the media so they usually get our stuff anyway so we've spoken to a few of the selectors you know separately during the year about players never 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 to the whole (laughs) selection committee as you know we again four years ago we used to sit in there and help with it yeah this year we sort of had no input with the whole selection committee you know as a whole do you have had toronto in there uh yeah again it's a lot. Midfield is the hardest one, so you, there's yeah. always going to be a good midfielder that misses out. So I thought you were going to say that the main name to miss out for me was Sam Taylor. Does he play one more game on the weekend and get into the squad? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Taranto, I think yeah should have definitely been in the 44. Yeah, I mean especially and not to you know just picking two other midfielders out. Um, well, one on his own team, Jake. Yeah. So Giant Newcomb and Jack Viney, they're the two that I've that I'm looking at. You look at every single measure. Whether it's disposals, contested possessions, clearances, tackles, goals, Taranto is above them in all of them, and I, and you just wonder whether if his first six seven rounds had been his last seven rounds, and then his start of the season had happened at the end, there is no doubt in my mind he would be in the team. So it begs the question: it, Should the AFL be releasing a mid-year team, and then? At the end, another one, and and base, so basically, you're doing two ins and outs. Yeah, to to make it because I think there's far too much waiting on the back half of the year, and and you, you can't deny that with the, with these numbers. Would you be in favour of uh, a rolling all Australian, so it's transparent all the way through, forty four names all the way through. Oh, it's a yeah. lot of work to be doing it every week. No, that's a good point. Um, I'd probably just stick maybe with the not team, maybe yeah. even if it's monthly or something. I I just think there's got to be another way where. Yeah, I, I just think it's crazy to me that you can, if you have a if you have a quiet last four games, last five games, mm-hmm. you're penalised massively for it, as opposed to having a quiet first four games and then storming home. And I think someone like you said, someone's own team, Dustin Martin. You know, there's been this call in the last week, it seems, for Dusty to be in the All Australian team, and he's been great. And you know, that's the problem with players like Dusty, and same with Lockie Neal. People are surprised Lockie Neal's in the squad of 44. It's like. You're comparing him to his best, his standard that he set. Neil might poll 30 Brownlow votes this year. So it's like... Well, how many did he poll in your tracker? Which uh, is now complete, 20, by the way. 29. Okay, so he <laughs> might poll 29 votes. Yeah. Uh, so you can also find that on the website. Yeah, so, but what I'm saying is it's AFL. like you, you're, you, you're... By being an, a, an absolute A-plus grader... So you wouldn't have Dusty in the 44? I wouldn't have Dusty in the 44, no. Okay. Fair enough. Um... <laughs> Any other thoughts on that, Christian? You're a so the Dusty Martin one. That's so you wouldn't have him in the forty-four based on what? Based on the fact that he hasn't been in the forty-four best players this year, taking into account all positions. So he's he's become the first player in the history of the all. You know, since we've been around to play eighty percent forward and average twenty-three disposals a game. He's averaged twenty-three point eight disposals, I think, from eighty-five percent forward time. Uh, second in the competition behind Toby Green for score involvements for a general forward, fifth overall in the whole competition. Um, and yeah, second highest rated general forward behind Toby Green. So again, if you're looking at small forwards in the competition, he's clearly been the second best performing one of it, yet has got no credit, I think, because he hasn't been at his Brownlow or Norm Smith best. But you're not picking Dustin Martin compared to Dustin Martin 2017. You've got to pick yeah. Dustin Martin compared to the other... Hundred odd general forwards there was, and, and he's the second highest rated general forward. Whether you look at, as, as I said, disposals, he was high up. Scoreboard impact, he was high up. And and as a but has know, he been a general? Toby Green has been a general forward from round one to round twenty four. Has Dustin Martin been a general forward from round one to round twenty four? Yeah, as I said, eighty five percent game time for the season as a forward. So yes. So what was he against Port? What was he in the final game against Port Adelaide? Because I, I'm. I'm convinced he played at least 80% of the game in the midfield. No, so we go to the other way around. So we've got 80% as a forward in that game, 20% as a midfielder, five centre bounces attended. See, I just can't believe... I just can't... I don't believe that. Watching the game, I'm not saying it's wrong. I just don't understand how that works because... And I, and I imagine most Richmond yeah, we want people, We want him on the podcast again next year, right? I, I imagine most Richmond pe- fans would probably watch and say, yeah, Dusty was playing 
in the midfield, more in the midfield than but, he has in other games. I mean, I know at the start of the year... Was he playing, playing in the midfield or as a midfielder? Because it's not netball. You can go into any zone you want. So a forward can play in the defensive zone. But what a team does is, and again, 666 helps that, you start with six forwards. So you know mm. that if you win the ball in the back line, there's six guys that are going to be responsible for getting ahead of the ball and being part of your forward line setup for when we go forward. So yes, Dustin Martin, you've got license to go into the back line and the, and the wing, but you need to be able to be get on your bike and get up forward but when we get the ball that forward. Ca- so so if he's, if again... He's- if we're, he's we're pushing tracking. so far up the ground and he's getting he's getting handball receives in the back fifty, then that's how's he still considered playing forward at that point? Because Toby Green because not Richmond doing that. are still playing with forwards. Richmond don't abandon their forward line. Just go. We're going to play with the ball is now in our defensive half. We're going to turn to in, into eighteen defenders. It never happens like that. You still have your six midfielders pushing defence. You have your six forwards push up higher. I get what you're saying. He's he's got license to roam, but when you're setting up a team, you still know who's supposed to be forward of the ball. You know, mid mid of the ball, on, on the ball and defensive you, you of the ball. So I I agree with you. He he roams a lot, but he doesn't play center bounce. He's his heat map is going to be considerably more in the half forward in line. the middle of the ground as opposed to someone uh, like Toby Green. Again, I think it'll be more probably fifty to center square out than Toby. It won't be in the middle of the ground at all because he wasn't in center bounces. He wasn't pushing back from the defense. So again, probably could chase up a heat map for you. Probably be more. Are you looking that up, Matt? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, t- in, he gets his phone out straight away. Yeah, not, maybe not half, so much over the course of the season, but certainly in that game against Richmond, I'm uh, against Port. I imagine one he... disposal in the back fifty. In, uh, in the entire well, offensive half, sixty-two percent, thirty-eight percent defensive half, but but a pretty even split. That's, that's midfield. Looking at that, it's, yeah, it's, wing. But yeah, the red sort of comes around. If he played netball, it'd be wing attack. Yeah, so but but go, but then go to Toby Green against Carlton. You know, it's the same thing, and, and so this is why I think we can't just look at how many disposals he's getting because he is spending more time around the ball. No, Toby's want... is almost exclusively exactly. in the, it's forward, in the 50. forward 50. And same as Charlie Cameron and same as Luke Bruce and same as the guys that we look at as the best general forwards in the comp. That's why I think it's a little bit disingenuous saying that he is better than these guys because he's getting more of the ball when he's around no, the ball more. Not because he's getting more of the ball. But he's playing a different role than those guys. All right, we do need to move on. Good chat and good insights as to how, I guess, Champion Data tracks players and, and their positions. Mm. Uh, a little bit sort of uh, beneath the surface there. But please do come back next year, Christian, even <laughs> if Jake's uh, getting it all up in your business. Uh, the common medal has been won and run. So back-to-back for Charlie Kerno. Jake, we were discussing this uh, yesterday, I think, is that I reckon four or five years ago, um, ESPN did a, a column, you and oh, um, here we go. Neil Seawang, about how whether or not Carlton should trade Kerno mm. um, because he was having con- continuity issues, couldn't get his his uh, his body right on the park. Maybe a fresh set of surroundings might help him. But yeah. uh, fair to say he's turned things around. So he played 15 games across three seasons uh, between 2019 and 2021. I think he missed all of 2020 with that knee complaint. Um, and just had setbacks and had to get like meniscus cleared out and just awful sort of stuff. And I- I've talked to you about this. I thought he would sort of never get back to where... I mean, when you start having setbacks on knees as a young player, you start to worry. And, and, and setback after setback. After setback. So I, I was thinking it would just... He'll, I was almost resigned as a Carlton fan to never seeing the best of Charlie Kerno. Mm. But, you know, for his 20 goals from 15 games across that, that era, th- those three seasons, he's now kicked... 142 from the 45 games since. So 2022 and 2023 to win back-to-back Coleman medals. It's it's a it's a hell of an effort, and he's becoming a 144. Oh, you might be right. My maths might be a bit off. And also, it's it's um, worth noting that he went goalless in round one last year, and okay. so it's actually in a one game. My fewer. apologies. Um, um, and he has kicked a goal in every game since, which is the longest um, current streak of 44 games. It's it's an unreal effort from him to come from where he has been to, yeah. to where he is now. It is one of the great comeback, footy comeback stories of, of recent history, really. But I don't think we look at it as a comeback story because he never really was established, as you say. Yes. Um, he never established himself, forget, as a superstar player, as even a good player that was anywhere consistent. So he kicked the yeah, he kicked the seven goals. I think it was against uh was it the, the Bulldogs? Bulldogs. He kicked yeah. seven goals and then got injured the very, very next week. Um and then we didn't see him for two years. So it was it was he was about to take the game by storm, but I again putting my Carlton hat on. I remember watching him in those last five games of twenty twenty one just thinking, no, he's he's not gonna get back. He was all about explosiveness as a kid and his mm. athleticism and he just didn't look the same player towards the end of twenty twenty one. Um, obviously, I think they rushed him back just to sort of get get him on the field and sort of get him exposure. But yeah, I, I never thought he would be this dynamic in terms of yeah, because it's all about the propulsion for him. He's he's you know a big jumper and a big kicker and a and a fast yeah. runner. I thought he's going to lose a lot of that with the knee injuries. 
Uh, and he's such a dynamic player now as well. You talk about sort of explosiveness, but his field kicking is elite as well. Oh, it is. And we spoke about this. I can't remember. I forget what we speak about on the podcast and what we speak about when we're just sitting around. And there's more F words. It's definitely not on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, just going back to the, the previous game against the Suns, uh, you know, he, he single-handedly got Carlton back into that game in the second quarter. It wasn't the goals. It was his field kicking, taking taking the marks, you know, 65-70 out and just without any hesitation, wheeling and going and drilling a 55-meter pass to the goal square and hit, lacing a teammate out. Mm. Oh, he's fantastic. And, uh, you know, made me think, going into the start of the year, you could have polled 100 people in in football media, players, coaches, fans, and I reckon you would have got 90, 95 of them at least saying Jeremy Cameron was the number one key forward going into the season. It was probably 100 out of 100 after round six. Yeah. <laughs> um, where is it now? Yeah, it's a good you question. Know, like, uh, who are you taking at their absolute peak of their powers for one game? Cameron or Kerno? This goes back to the dusty one, so I'm going to get yelled at. I'm going to go Cameron just because I've seen him get 30 and five. You know, Cameron, you can oh, put he's in the midfield. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's not it's not all about disposal. So a bad step for me. But uh, again, but but at, at their peak, currently now you take Kerno 100. percent But at their peak, yeah. Cameron had that ability to become oh, yeah. a centre bounce dominant mm. player and go forward and kick goals. He just had you that forget one, so quickly. Yeah. Like we're round six, the guy was like on he, track for 100. Everyone yeah. was asking him whether he can kick a ton. Yeah, I I. I think Kerno has the ability to uh, take those contested marks and really dominate that sort of defensive matchup one-on-one. We've seen him do it time and time again this year. But you're right. I think Cameron's ability at ground level and to push up a little bit more makes him just that little bit more dynamic at this point. Mm. Uh, this will test your scrolling speeds, Christian. But we have a, uh, a listener question come in as well. So from Nick Potter, thank you for that. You Ooh, can get this, to us it, at, uh, at is, Footy Tips. Is this a live question? No, no, it's not live. But oh. it's... Well, I did tell him about it, but I forgot to put it on the oh, run sheet, so he might be scrambling here. <laughs> Question for the pod. Nick Potter says, uh, not really sure how to frame this, but there seem to have been some spectacular accuracy differentials this round. So the Pies, 16-5, yes. the Dons, 3-13, Lions, 9-18 to 9-9. Is there a round-wide stat record for this? So I assume he's asking kind of like, has there been a team where one one team's accuracy has been so high and so low that the, the what the biggest differential is? Yep. So across again, Essendon Collingwood, forty seven percent difference in shot at goal accuracy. So including misses as well, that was the biggest differential between two teams this year. Um, the other two big Nick. ones from round twenty four, we had Brisbane were twenty six percent below St Kilda and won, uh, and Geelong were twenty four percent below Bulldogs and lost. So uh, two of the well, one of the inaccurate teams ended up winning. So across the round, the nine more accurate teams had an accuracy 18% better than their opponents. That's the second biggest differential. So round 16, we saw one this year where, again, it's 18.3% uh, differential in round 16, 18.1% this round. So it's right up there for one of the biggest sort of swings of diff- yeah, for accuracy, but it's sort of pumped up by those three games, I think. There you go. Uh, at Footy Tips on Twitter, if you want to throw anything at us or Christian. Uh- Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, the key stat from every game where we go through every results and look at uh, the key stat from that as to what happened in that game. We're going to whip through these because we've got heaps to get through still. So uh, Dons and Collingwood, I guess we kind of touched on a little bit, but the accuracy was one thing, but uh, the 70-point win for the Pies in the end. Yeah, one thing for Collingwood to, again, just going through the motions and trying to trying to beat up on a team that wasn't really Terrible really game. on the night. But again, you just got to try to take little wins out of the game. They, they've been struggling to get the ball inside 50 uh, second half of the year. They had 56 entries, Collingwood, for the night. Um, so they were averaging 56 per game from round 1 to 12. It only reached 56. I think that's the four, uh, third time they've done it since um, round 12 where they've actually reached their previous season average. So able to generate a few more inside 50s. Um, and again, yeah, just the ability... Like We talked about Essendon. Their ability to move the ball was their strength across the whole year. They scored uh, uh, three points from defensive 50 chains on the night against Collingwood, which was their lowest that's in it. any game this season. Yeah, so that's that's their one wood. That's their strength, being able to go end-to-end. 
As and I said, gave up a lot of entries to Collingwood, but couldn't couldn't score. Yep. Um, so again, rounds one to 17, 22 points per game from D50 chains for Essendon, number one mm. in the comp. Yep. Round 18 to 24, 11 points per game from D50. Call 17. me a footy nuffy, but I, I get really upset when I, you know, turn, no matter what game it is, especially with a Friday night game and I sit on the couch and I turn it on and I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> and it's, it was such a disappointing game. Uh, okay, fair enough. Uh, Hawks, oh, I was a little bit disappointed in the Hawks, speaking yeah. of disappointing. Well, I thought so this was a live chance for them to, to win their last uh, game for the season and would have been, what, eight wins for the year? Yeah. Um, I mean, would have still, been still, still seven more mark. than yeah. JB predicted, so um, they've done well. But um, and drive-bys. The, the thing I noticed from this game, and I, I, I posed this question to Christian before, still waiting on an answer, might, might come eventually, um, but has a team ever had two players finish one and two in the league in disposals. So Andy Brayshaw and Caleb Sarong, I think it's the other way around, one and two in the league for just total disposals this year. Mm. I'm not sure that's ever happened before. So I think this is uh, across the season. I think it's only home and away rounds. Three previous times. So Joel Corey and Jimmy Bartell, 2008, one and two. Uh, Dane Swan and Scott Penderbury in 2013. Yeah. Fair. Dan Hanabry and Josh Kennedy in 2015 were all top two in disposal. So that is so. that was they're all definitely home and away. Uh, again, I'll have to double check whether it's full season or home and away. I just got the yeah the top they two sent through to me. So. Yeah, okay. Um, a few more. Yeah. Than I thought there that is go. interesting. Hawks also won the inside fifties uh, again, but lost the game. So that seems to be a bit of an issue for them is converting their their chances. Yeah, and again, the game as itself, again as a whole, was that was probably the definition of circle work for me. So um, yeah, that sort of their forward line sort of. Struggled to kick the goal, but it was very open for. It was almost like one kick in there. It was either Hawthorne take a mark or Freo would take a mark and get it back out there. So across the game, uh, 30.6% uh, possessions were won from a contest by the two teams. That's the second lowest percentage in any game this season. The lowest percentage was the Friday night, the game before. So Collingwood-Essendon was the lowest contested possession rate of any game this year. Hawthorne-Freo, the second uh, lowest. Uh, and yeah, just the, even the kicking efficiency was the second highest uh, kicking efficiency game for the season. So... Yeah, very easy. The two teams sort of just going through the motions of kicking the ball around and, and sort of seeing who could pinch a goal first. Speaking of going through the motions, the uh, uncontested possession rate in North Melbourne versus Gold Coast yeah, down at Blunston, uh, very high. Well, no, well, that was for North. So again, that was Gold Coast were a bit low, but that was probably looking at North and it was. It was the connection that they had between players. So they won 69% of their possessions uncontested. Their highest percentage this year, as Ken sort of saying, the one strength North sort of had a little bit that they were mid-table was clearance and contest. They were, they were sort of a little bit getting better at the in and under sort of stuff. On the weekend there, they were sort of really good at sort of exposing and using the space. So their most lead marks taken in any game this year, second most handball receives for a mini game this year. So uh, plus 27 uncontested possessions, which is their second best differential. So they just ran all over Gold Coast and, and used that link up and, and run and carry really well. An interesting well. one off that game, uh, Nick Larkey. So he kicked the nine goals. First time in 20 years that four different players have... Had a, no- a bag of nine in the, in the same season. Mm, Larky, Tex, Kerno, and Jesse Hogan. And he kicked a fair share of his team's goals over the course of the year. Sort of fair areas going back a few mm. years. Yeah, so 29.2% of his team goals, um, which is the fourth highest percentage since 2000. So you're right, Fev is the highest in that time. Uh, Fev, he kicked eight, Fev, Fev. <laughs> yeah, uh, 84 goals in two, 2006. That was 32.7% of uh, Carlton goals. But yeah, spare a thought for... Um, I know we've got the John Coleman medal, so... John Coleman in 1952, he kicked 45% of Essendon's goals. That's the third highest percentage we've ever seen. But the two guys ahead of him, Bill Finlay, 1943, North Melbourne, uh, 46% of their goals. <laughs> Charlie Baker for St Kilda in 1902, he kicked 30 goals for the season. St Kilda kicked 64. So he's he kicked 47% player. of their goals. Why isn't it the Charlie Barker medal? That's a good question. Yeah, well, I that. Fair enough. Uh, the Lions and the Saints. Saints were well in this game until a little bit late, and then the uh, the Lions managed to kick away. But I th- have a feeling it was just the inaccuracy that probably kept the Lions, mm. the Saints in it for a bit longer it, than they it, could have been. Yeah. So as I said, the negative twenty six percent accuracy for Brisbane almost. You know they could have you know put the foot down and, re- and really smashed St Kilda on the scoreboard. But the other one that worked the other way in Brisbane's favour, they scored eight one. Uh, from within 15 metres. So 49 points from within 15 metres. The Saints and what scored... was that one, by the way? Uh, yeah, exactly. I'll have to find it. Uh, yeah, it was had... Joe Danaher. And he hit oh, the that was right. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> the, the worst miss of the year. That is the worst miss in... Not just that one. Since yeah. the Josh Bruce one down at Tassie? I reckon, I reckon Danaher was worse. But ha- Danaher scored. Harry Mackay kicked it out in the full oh, yeah, uh, Good there. Friday. <laughs> on the run. He, he was in Zantuck. the goal square and he got it on, against the wall. On the run. Well, the Tartar on the run. Like it is, but it's, it's strolling in when he missed his. Yeah. 
That's true. Shannon Grant. Oh, Shannon yeah. Grant's a good one. They had that was to win the game too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, again, so forty nine points scored from within fifteen meters to zero. So second biggest differential we've ever seen from scores within uh, fifteen meters. So Brisbane, yeah, they were inaccurate, but then they also just generated so many shots from dead in front. St Kilda could, as I said, could not score at all from directly in front. Uh, and then back half turnovers as well. St Kilda turned it over twenty eight times in their back half. Brisbane just fourteen. So clear sort of skill difference. Uh, ended up being a bit of a dead rubber, but it was alive for the dogs, uh, and they got the job done against the Cats down at GMHBA. A bit of a drought breaker down there for mm. the dogs. What did you notice from this game? Yeah, so it was ball movement for the dogs. So the one thing we talk about playing Geelong down at GMHBA Stadium, they always win the inside 50 count, and they just don't let you move the ball end-to-end. Uh, -end. So the Bulldogs from defensive 50 to forward 50 did that 26% of the time, which is the fourth best against the Cats in the last four years there. It doesn't seem like a lot, but five of their scores were sourced from defensive 50 across the game, which, again, is the equal most of any side um, against Geelong in the past four years. So just being able to sort of, yeah, get the ball up the other end of the field from Geelong's forward line is, is um, a key when you're playing against them down there. Uh, can you give me some more text stats? Because some of these are very, very funny from Adelaide versus West Coast. <laughs> yeah, so the one I noticed is he had 20 kicks and 19 shots. So that was the first one I noticed. So I'm like, geez, that's, that's a great ratio. I'll try to work out... A better ratio than that. So let's try to look at uh, most shots in a game and kicks and then realise 19 shots is actually the most we've ever recorded for a single player. So 2002, we first started doing all shots a goal. So obviously we did goals and behinds in 99, then we added missed shots from 2002 onwards. 19 shots a goal, yeah, most we've ever recorded for any player. Uh, and then the last quarter, they just went, you know, overly the top. They they targeted him 10 times in that, in that final quarter, which is the most <laughs> anyone's been targeted in a quarter this year. So... Very good. So um, we had so he kicks he kicked nine four. So you're saying he had six shots that, that yeah, not nine goals f nine. Well, you four. saw some of the some yeah. of the we were watching some of them yeah. before he came on the pot. He nine was like goals, to snap four behinds, and six and missed six shots. Complete misses. I want to know what his kick was. It wasn't a shot. <laughs> <laughs> um, power and the Tigers power won by thirty one points. Uh, and they had a lot of uncontested possessions. Yeah, really unusual game for me. As I said, talk about Port Adelaide's strengths being forward half and territory and things like that. And Richmond haven't been great in that under McWalter. Richmond won the inside 50 count by six. Um, and again, the other one that Port don't usually dominate uncontested possessions. They're usually pretty direct with the ball. Again, just dump it in there and win a lot of contests. They were plus 30 uncontested possessions, which is uh, their highest in any game this season. So again, there's a lot of teams that usually win by plus 80, plus 90, plus 100 uh, uncontested possessions. Um, I think, sorry, it was the second highest behind their um, round one domination against Brisbane. But again, just a different sort of game where, yeah, Port lost the territory, which is very unlike them, but they won with a sort of a higher uncontested possession count, which is unlike them. But again, sort of watched that game and just thought they, they were just going through the motions. Port were obviously keen for the four points, but they didn't seem to be playing hmm. their usual hard at it game style that we've seen earlier in the year. Uh, Bailey Fritch back. Just in time, I think, for the Ds. Another five-goal haul for for him. Um, and a come-from-behind win. So the Swans didn't score a goal after halfway through the third term. Uh, and the Ds were able to get the victory. Yeah, main difference was, it was again, just across the whole game. Um, scores from turnovers was a simple one. 52 to 26. Um, so double the score from Melbourne. So... Again, both of these teams are pretty uh, good on the turnover, but Melbourne was able to smash them. And, and just from forward half alone, Melbourne sort of able to generate 57 points from forward half change, Sydney just 22. So Melbourne's ability to get it forward and, and lock it forward uh, was good. So again, looking at for the losing team, one of the guys that stood out for me was probably Callum Mills though. So against Adelaide, I sit next to a Sydney supporter in the office and he was quite frustrated after watching his Adelaide game where he sort of tagged Jordan Dawson but didn't, didn't really he, negate. He was unhappy after that game. Yeah. Uh, sorry about Callum Mills's oh. role, not about yeah, not about the result, Shit. but just about how Callum Mills was. Oh. Callum Mills was sort of you know, and and his season he's sort of gone backwards compared to where he was last year. But they sort of released him. So as I said, against Adelaide, he had eleven disposals, three score involvements, and four tackles. Sort of trying to play that midfield negating role on Dawson. Played the midfield, uh, but was released. Had thirty disposals against Melbourne, ten score involvements, the twelve tackles, and it was his best. Highest rated game for the season. So that's one player they really want to get into form heading into finals, I would have thought. Yeah. Down season for Callum Mills. And I got crushed for not having him in my top 25 players going into this season. And I think it's <laughs> rightly justified now. Yeah, and, and, and again, but it's he's just changed positions so often that I feel like it's been a little bit of, uh, yeah, yeah the, the coaching is, hasn't helped him. 
Uh, and finally, the final game of the weekend, the Blues and the Giants. Definitely seemed like a bit of a cue in the rack game from the Blues, especially after Kerno got that second goal. It was a very... Uh, the contrast between the first half, second half, and the crowd was... I've never seen anything like it. It was extraordinary. Largest just, crowd the Giants have played in front of in, in, at Marvel Stadium, so 44,000 yeah. and some change. But just first quarter, you know, Kerno up and about, Coleman, you know, it was... Oh, could, how many is he going to kick today? No, no Sam Taylor, obviously. And then it was just second half. It was just dead silent as the Giants were piling him on. Yeah, no, I... First jumped into this game, and I remember the Ollie Holland's goal that was changed to a behind, yeah. obviously the score review where they got it right. And I thought that, uh, to me, after turning the game, point. I'm like, oh, I thought that was a turning point, but it probably took a little bit longer than that. Carlton still outscored. I think Carlton did get the next goal uh, from that bit of play. But, yeah, it was probably the 15-minute mark of the third quarter onwards where the game really sort of turned and, and the Giants sort of got a bit more serious and Carlton probably laid off a little bit. Um, so, yeah, outscored by 32 points from the 15-minute mark to the end of the game. Um, so, yeah, scores were even up until then. Giants won by 32 points from that point on. Contested possessions, it was plus 19 for Carlton um, up until the 15-minute mark of the third quarter. Completely switched. It was plus 10 for the Giants um, yeah. from that point on. Clearances, they, I mean, they were plus two heading into it. They added another six um, from the 15-minute mark. And inside 50s, negative nine to plus 11. So it did seem like it got to a point in that game where... Carlton were probably a little bit self-preservation and probably yeah. realised, geez, GWS are on here and they're probably going a bit too hard. Saad got an injury just before half-time. Wietering limped off for a little bit. So it yep. seemed like Carlton were just, yeah, a little bit of cue in the rack and let and that Giants sort of go to business. Well, we are now up to finals. Got a bit of a wait, though, until there. But we thought we'd take another look at the Premiership standards. We've banged on about these a little bit over the course of uh, this year. But it's so... This is this is quite narrow, but we can go a little bit broader. But 10 of the past 10 premiers have ranked top six uh, in these six stats. So points against, points against from turnovers, opposition points from forward half, moving the ball from D50 to forward 50, the inside 50 differential, and time in forward half differential. Um, but as I said, there are more which give you a, a greater understanding. We're going to tweak it this week, though, Christian. So I went to you and said, let's do an update of the premiership standards. And you said, well, why don't we talk about the teams in the top eight and how they fared against the other teams, so their peers in the air that are going to be playing finals. So where do you want to start with this? Yeah, so again, um, sort of just compared your raw premiership standard report to one where I filter for just games played against top eight teams. Right. So again, you're still, you're still getting a ranking out of 18th, so I'm still including all the non-finalists in your rankings. Um, but just seeing, yeah, sort of what changes for teams compared to the whole year compared to against the good team. So, again, looking at Brisbane, we sort of went through last year, 32 main stats that we use on the Premiership Standard Reports, um, top six being green, bottom six being red, and, and sort of white being neutral. So Brisbane on the Standard Report have 23 green um, ticks, if you like, and one red tick um, across that, whereas against top eight, it sort of drops. They've got 16 greens and four... Uh, reds when you when you still sort of filter for top eight. So the main drop offs for them uh, in that time is they're sort of gone. Their, their defense is so against top eight they're the fifth easiest team to score or sixth easiest team to score against from a defensive fifty where they've been the eighth hardest overall across the season. So top eight teams have been able to get get into their defense a bit more. Post clearance contest uh, ground ball gets they're sixteenth against top eight teams. So again very good inside the stoppages. Um, but outside the stoppages, post-clearance where Collingwood and probably even Sydney um, are sort of dominant in. So they're, they're sort of struggling in that area. Port are probably another strong team in that. And, yeah, overall contested position differential for Brisbane sort of drops from their fourth overall, but only eighth against top eight teams. So, again, just sort of starting with them, you can sort of see there is some teams that sort of drop off or up uh, or come up in certain stats against top eight teams. So Carlton, 13-5 and five on their raw report. So 13, 13 greens. greens. Five red, red and a few and in between. Yep. yep. So uh, fourteen neutral or whatever. But a lot of a lot of I've uh, I've seen this report and a lot of Carl the Carlton Greens are one. They're number one. So yep. from what, especially particularly a lot of the mid, those midfield yep. stats. And, and a lot of it, they were top three at around round ten or eleven when everyone was sort of pushing for vote. And and, and uh, again, I stood by and said that the the overall signature is strong for Carlton. It's just mm. within games how they how they were losing games was their problem. It wasn't their actual game style or signature but again the things that they sort of as i said 13 5 uh against all teams 16 6 mm. against top eight teams so their record actually gets slightly better against the top teams and, and the things that they've improved on so they're the fifth best team at score uh sorry have the fifth best inside 50 differential against top eight teams they're eighth overall against all other teams um fifth for scoring from intercepts they're usually 10th um and they're the fourth hardest team for the top eight teams to go end-to-end -end against, whereas, again, across the season, they've been more mid-table eight. So, 
against the good teams, yeah, Carlton are able to sort of win territory a little bit more um, and stifle ball movement. So Collingwood, they got a pretty good jump. So 16-4, 16 greens, 4 reds in their normal profile. 22-2 and two against Jeez. top eight teams. So, And a lot of that is looking at uh, so uh, territory. territory. Mm-hmm. So they go from not horrible rankings overall, but just to really good rankings against top eight. So in 550 differential, they go from sixth overall to up to fourth. So that's, sort of, that's not an extra green or anything, but it's just one of their rankings that's moved up. But time in forward half, they're going from eighth to fifth against top eight teams. Forward half intercepts, they're mm-hmm. 11th overall but fifth against the top eight teams and points from forward half intercepts, 13th overall, but fifth against the top, uh, you normally think they would top eight teams. You dominate so, the, the exactly, worst teams on this, but exactly, they're actually so they're probably switched on again. It, it's, it's a little bit like... <laughs> it's that effort. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a player that's similar, Jordan Dawson. His contested possession rate goes so much uh, higher against the good teams and he's uncontested. So it's almost yeah. like the, against the smaller teams, he sort of hangs out on the outside and uses his kicking. When they've come up against a real strong team, Jordan Dawson's taken upon himself to be a real inside contestable winner. Similar to Collingwood, they are a very counter-attack team and happy mm. to sort of not, you know, not play with a high inside 50 count. But against top eight teams, I think they realise, geez, it's very hard to be a counter-attack team against good teams. So they get their territory game um, going quite well. So we talked about Collingwood going up against top eight teams. GWS is probably the one for me. Eight and one is their usual record. So eight greens, one like red, one middle and of the road, really. a whole heap of white. Yeah. Against top eight teams, eight green, fourteen red. Yeah, so okay. it's it's thirteen reds that didn't, creep in didn't against the top eight. Snag teams. many wins against great teams this year. I know they, they beat the D's, which was a really big one. And the and the D's win was again, you look at the stats in that game and they were smashed. They were they were yeah. completely beaten in a lot of clearances and inside fifties in that game, but somehow pulled the full point. So yeah, they have sort of been pulled apart by some of the top eight teams um across the year. So again, Probably the main one for them is their 16th for points from forward half um, uh, against top eight teams, but yeah, fifth usually. So against against yeah, all the right. other teams. So that's the one where um, yeah, win the, win the territory, keep the ball locked in your forward half and score. As I said, against Melbourne, Melbourne had about 20 more inside 50s and lost that game. So GWS was still playing from their back half, which is never strong. Um, I did these in alphabetical order, so that's why they're a bit all over the shop. But Melbourne, <laughs> twenty-five and two, normally twenty-three and one Jeez, top that's eight probably teams. The best so record, yeah. exactly, um, only one red. Port Adelaide, you, fifteen. You, sorry to cut you yeah. off, but when you look at these, I'm sure you look at this, you know, throughout the season. Does it change your perspective on a team? Yeah. Do, I, well, because I think Port Adelaide is one one that. I know you mentioned, but yep. you know there are teams that you probably you watch and you think, gee, they're they're looking really good, and then you then you see the whole uh, table here and you think maybe maybe they're not as good as I oh, perhaps well, thought. This will be the first report I open up on a Sunday night or a Monday morning, so it probably frames a lot of my thinking anyway. So mm. in terms of coming into it with a preconceived conception and changing my mind when I read this report, not so much. But it's the same thing. It's it's when Essendon are getting pumped in round ten, we open up the report and we go, there's too many reds in the defensive area. Um, when everyone's sort of smashing Geelong for falling off. Again, they're one of the teams you can look at. And they're like, they're sixth or seventh in a lot of areas. They've only got to take, you know, very small improvement next year to get back to finals. So yeah. there is, a, and again, I said it, I think tongue in cheek a little bit two weeks ago when we were talking about Port Adelaide. The last month, I think they were 14th or 15th for points against. To me, that's the one number I look at and that, that they okay. really need to buck the trend to win the premiership this year. And I, and I look at that and look at the top four teams and think, well, if I need to put a line through one of the teams, I'm going to put my line through Port based on the defensive mm. aspect of it. Is that rare that so, you would do that for a team in the top four compared to teams in the... Again, this, that's, that's what I'm saying. Guns in my head, if I had to get rid of one of the top four, you, oh, the you'd top probably look at the defensive yeah, yeah. defensive profiles. And again, I'm not sort of saying Port don't deserve to win it or anything, but what they will have to do Sorry, is they... Port fans. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> you look at Port and you go, well... The yeah, one thing yeah, that worries me is their defensive profile yeah. doesn't look like any other premiership profile yep. that so we've seen. They're actually nineteen and three, so they've got nineteen green and three yeah, reds against from, top eight teams. Yeah, fifteen and seven against the uh, against all competition and nineteen three. So again, a pretty good record them and Melbourne uh, in, in terms of dominant against uh, top eight teams. And Sydney's probably one that drops off. So thirteen and six. So thirteen greens when you're looking at the whole competition, but it drops to seven and six um, against top eight teams. So. Uh, things like scores where inside 50 is sort of they drop from 6th overall to 14th when they play good teams uh, points from turnovers is 6th down to 11th and their ground ball get differential they're the 3rd best overall but 7th best when they come up against quickly top on eight. the Saints before we move on we missed the Saints that's all oh sorry <laughs> uh, uh, so 15-7 overall and they actually do improve against top 8 teams 17-7 uh, 17 green 7 reds um, and again it's it's 
their points against from stoppages. They go from ninth overall um, against season to second against the top eight teams. So the probably one focus that St Kilda got there is that we really need to shut down the stoppages and not let teams score against, and they've done well against top teams mm-hmm. in that. There you go. Interesting stuff. AFLW starts Friday. We've got a special guest, Jake. Ooh, we do. Uh, to uh, join us to chat women's footy. Normally on the dials, uh, doing the production of this podcast, Imogen Evans, also a Collingwood midfielder. No. <laughs> yes. How are you going? Good to have you on the pod. Yeah, bloody stoked to be here. <laughs> How are you enjoying your time at ESPN so far? Um, It's been really good. Yeah. yeah. You can be honest. No, yeah, I like working like with pod? everyone except Jake, pretty much. <laughs> Imo's really fearful that uh, Jake's going to go and watch her play and just sort of start getting a bit too critical sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we know uh, that can happen. I'll come down with my my notepad. Yeah. Uh, AFLW starts Friday. You're involved. Uh, mm. Are you going to play a game? I hope so. Fingers crossed. Um, fingers are crossed. Um, um, thought we'd get you on just to sort of run through a bit of a primer. So a bit of a reminder of what goes on, uh, when it starts, how many rounds there are, the quirks of the fixture. Anything you want to tell us about uh, the AFLW season that's coming up? Well, obviously round one is this Friday. 720 Icon Park, Melbourne versus Collingwood. So that'll be a cracker of a game. Be there. Um, be there or be square. Um, and yeah, I guess we're playing 10 rounds this year, same as last year. Um, really hope that we can kind of ex- extend that in the future. Mm. But I guess we're all just kind of excited to get it started and start playing. Um, some, some teams you won't play this year and you probably might not have played for a couple of years as well. No, yeah, you're correct. We don't play everyone, which is... You, you told me something fascinating a couple of days ago that this will be the first year you play the Suns. Yeah, I mean, the Suns haven't been haven't in the been competition. Since, uh, yeah, but still, still kind of weird... A, a bit of a weird quirk. Mm, it is interesting, but I'm really excited for that game too, round three. Uh, also, a few moving parts to the AFLW season. So the CBA was put on hold and the 10-round fixture came out uh, instead of sort of solving that uh, hastily before the season started. Do you have any insight? I mean, you're in these sort of meetings and stuff like that. Do you mm. know what the latest is with uh, the CBA and if there are plans, I guess, to potentially extend the season a bit, a bit longer uh, in coming seasons? My understanding is that they've obviously come to the... Um, agreement that it is going to be 10 games for this season but I think from the AFL that there is a commitment there to extend it in the future but we don't really have any certainty around numbers and stuff and when that's going to happen and the rate of progression over the years as well but at the moment it's just more of like the both parties are still apart in like what we want and what they want Mm. but positive I guess steps forward have been made so it is in the right direction but the AFLPA doesn't want to rush anything so I think that's why it's taking so long Um, but yeah so they're working forward and we'll just see what happens we will Um, now taking your Collingwood lens off although you can keep it on somewhat who would you say would be you know the two or three players lesser known players um, to keep an eye on this season um I've been pretty bullish on Alana G. She missed out last year. She was in my draft class and we did a lot of stuff together. She plays for the Suns? Yeah. Did a lot lot of stuff together through the talent pathway coming through. Um, Missed last year due to a back injury, but she'll be back in the Suns squad, no doubt. Um, And she's a very exciting player to watch. Um, Ampidextrous. Midfield. Really explosive. She's just very smart football and I really enjoyed playing with her. Mm. Um, And I think... We we do talk about her a lot, but Georgie Prisparkas as well. I think she's going to real take another step up this year, which will be really impressive. Mm, could be one of the favourites to win the best and fairest. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and yeah, I mean, not a new player, but and kind of biased here, but we've got like Bree Davy and Britt Benici coming back into our midfield this year, two of probably the best players in the league or up and amongst it. So that'll be really exciting for us too. You know, but, it was a perfect opportunity to say yourself. <laughs> Next time. Uh, look, it's very magnanimous and uh, that's, no, that's good. Media uh, trained, well done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in terms of flag favourites, uh, obviously the D's probably could go back to back and it's another one of those strong teams. Uh, I know that they, they lost Daisy Pierce in the off-season, but um, the core of that group has stayed together and they're very strong. Are there any other uh, teams out there that you think could challenge for the flag? Um, you are very correct in Melbourne, a uh, very strong side. But I do think that Geelong... Um, are becoming really competitive. Same with North. Mm. Um, I've said that in a while. North. Mm, yeah, I think they're a really hard team to play against um, and they've had a strong pre-season as well. So I think they're one to keep an eye on. And Adelaide's always up there. So, What about the Pies? Uh, I mean, I, you can try and be unbiased, but what are your thoughts? Is everyone confident heading into the season and making sure that uh, everything's ready to go for Friday night? Yeah, I think we're all up and about. Really excited to take on the challenge of Melbourne on Friday. Um, but... 
I know culture and vibes thrown out around a lot, but I think this preseason's like we're so much closer than we've ever been. Mm. Um, and just with the inclusion of like Bray and Britta again, like they're having them on field with us as well to lead that way and not just off field has really driven the standards of the group. Um, and I'm really excited to see where we can go this year. Like mm. I've got belief, everyone has that same belief, and I think the boys have put us in good stead. Starts Friday, yeah, AFLW season eight. Heading uh, down? Uh, on Friday night. No, I'm actually out of town on Friday. Oh, you but, are, um, you? Yeah, we've, we've got plans to go and watch you play one of these games. <laughs> we'll be the cheer squad behind. Uh, so keep an eye out for us. Uh, good stuff. We'll also probably get you on the podcast throughout the year. So the AFLW portion of the pod is coming back. Might be a bit of a delayed start. So mm. Marissa uh, Lodanik, who uh, usually hosts it um, throughout the AFLW season, she's taking a well-deserved rest after working herself to the bone at the Women's World Cup. So yes. um, we're just making sure that she's fit and firing to go and her battery's recharged before we jump into that. But uh, you'll be jumping on that uh, every now and then. So we look forward to having your insights. Plus some written content as well. Yeah. Um, Keep an eye on the site. Everything's uh, everything's starting to move and it's um, exciting times for the AFLW competition and we can't, be, uh, can't wait to be a part of it and can't wait to have you on more often. Thank you very much. I'm excited. We're getting into red time of this podcast, which is proudly brought to you by Subway, which means it's time for Is the Hype Justified or Is It Hyperbole? Jeez, there's a few good ones here, Jake. I'm going to throw this one open to you. Laura Kane's first job as AFL head of footy is to fix the arc and soon. Oh, it has to be, doesn't it? I think that is completely justified. You're looking at me um, like, oh, you to- like you totally disagree. Justify but the statement. Go I for think it. we only have to go back you know, a week Uh <laughs> to say that this is clearly what has to be done first. And then you can go back another week and then look at the Petrarca incident. It's just, it's it's every round we have some sort of incident that actually matters in the grand scheme of the game. Forget the ones throughout the game that we okay. spoke about um, that have issues too. We've spoken about it at length. The camera quality is nowhere near up to scratch for a, a professional sport in a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, the placement of the cameras, the quality, the way in which the review is done, just everything about it is totally wrong. And fans are frustrated. Players don't know what, what's happening. You're getting players now being just saying, yeah, just claim everything's touched. It's just a total <laughs> farce at the moment. It's got to it's gotta be changed. Okay. Uh, my thought would be uh, the technology's not going to... You're not going to have enough time before the end of the season to improve the technology. I'm not saying fix it by... By round one, it needs final. to be fixed. 100%. Well, the first job that needs to happen is that Friday night's no longer 7.50, please. What? 7.25 on a Friday. You're the only person I've ever met I'm that is just so against 7.50. It's I, just... Such a late start. What do you want? Seven forty. Oh my god! The extra ten minutes. You can get to bed ten minutes early. Uh, Thursday night footy every week. Yes, that I'd much rather that. Give me Thursday every single week. I don't know why we don't. Mm. Get, why do we get it? We don't get it School in the, holidays. I think. Yeah, but why do we not get it in the middle portion of the year? They they always talked about there is that. Again, I think it comes back to CBA and the five-day, six-day breaks. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's, it's all written into that. I think there's a lot of it that goes above as fans. It goes over our heads. But, yeah, just get rid of all that sort of written into the CBA and, and let them play. When so, Laura Kane has said she's going to be a lot more accessible uh, throughout the, the week. So, we might Good. get a, yeah, a bit more openness and, yeah, get her on the pod. She's done the media rounds already this week. So, we might uh, put the call in. Um, Christian, Harry Sheasel must win the Rising Star. Yeah... Again, sort of, it's hard. Me and Jake looked at it yesterday and compared him to Nick Dacos's year last year, where he was Nick Dacos was a runaway winner. Sheasel's got him in all the key stats: disposals, contested possessions, uncontested possessions, score involvement, meters tackles, gain. meters gained. So he's had a better season than Nick Dacos in all those averages. Um, yeah, a very sort of tight top three. Um, but I think yeah, he's played every game. Played and again, another one that we looked at is to play every game as a general defense. General defenders don't usually get that much license as a kid. So I think there's only been 34 19-year-old general defenders in the past 13 or 14 years that have played at least half the season. So it's not a role that you're sort of just thrown in there and young kids play there. It's a pretty important role for your team. Um, And he's done that pretty well. So I I got him, yeah, winning that one. It feels like a a big chance to win the... The club best and fairest as well. I'm well, lucky. The big Suve might have got over the line with the with <laughs> the nine, nine bag. snags, but I reckon he's he, he certainly going to finish top three. Really quickly, Frio missing finals uh, is the most disappointing result of the season. Ooh, I hadn't thought about this. Um, Won a final last year. Yeah, might be hyperbole because I said that Richmond would be premier. I yeah, was very okay. bullish on Richmond. I also said that Tom Lynch would win the Coleman Medal and Dusty and Bolton would combine for hundred goals. So that was cross, cross, cross there. <laughs> But, yeah, I think Richmond's drop-off was pretty disappointing. I mean, you could say the same thing about Essendon, the Dogs. There are a few teams that are vying for that. Even Geelong. I mean, Geelong to go from Premier to missing finals. Yeah, so I don't think it's... blanket over six of them. I don't think it's it's clear-cut for you, no. Uh, Saints and GWS should have been scheduled at Marvel. 
I contract think, aside. Uh, I think so. So what's Marvel? 54, 54. technically. So I know it's a final, and, and looking back, these two teams never played a final, but they've never played in front of twenty more than 21,500 people. That's That was at Marvel. That. So 21,500 people is, is the highest crowd they've played in front of. They're going to have to sort of, you know, almost triple that to make it um, worthwhile, at the G. worthwhile at the G. And St. Kilda would, if you give St. Kilda the choice, they would have chose Marvel. So yeah. it's... I reckon yeah, one I of those... I remember blasting the Saints fans because I remember they played a Friday night maybe two or three years ago. And no one went. And it was like 18,000 on a Friday yeah. night. It was just the most grim atmosphere ever. I think, not to piggyback on what other uh, what our, some of our fellow media colleagues are saying, but there is something to be said about, you know, because we have so many teams based in, in Melbourne, there's something to be said about not getting a benefit for, for finishing higher on the ladder. You know, be, be it... Collingwood playing Melbourne at first v four in the qualifying final. Um, you know, some have suggested Collingwood have, should have access. Collingwood fans should have access to uh, a greater rubbish number of tickets. Rubbish. I I don't know what it is, but there. But it isn't right. It's not fair that you you finish higher, you earn a home final. It'll essentially be a completely fifty fifty. Geelong game. had to host Collingwood at the MCG last year, despite yeah, well, finishing I, top of the line. I know. I'm I'm not saying that that's right. I'm saying that's equally nah, where? egregious. Where? Next, not no, I'm not buying it. That surprises me. No, you're normally on on side with this sort of stuff. You're no. all about fairness and equality. Yeah, and you don't give equal two equal number of tickets. About... No. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> I don't know. Any feedback? Any questions? We're at Footy Tips on Twitter. Don't know if I've said that enough. This podcast. Uh, we're back next week. Going to do some uh, finals previews. Let us. Yeah. Let, before that, let us know what you. Any Tigers fans listening, let us know what you thought of. Uh, Dusty's game against Port and oh, and where you would imagine We're also what got percentage uh, of time he would have played in the midfield we've got Jasper Chalopar on next week as well we're going to go through the draft state of play we're going to get him on and talk about uh, some of the top prospects including Harley Reid Jed Walters the unwanted Harley Reid to uh, the Gold Coast uh, Suns and a few other names on there the wizard Nick Watson we'll, we'll get all the latest from him uh, to everyone at home I will speak to you in the next episode listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN footy pod wherever you get your podcasts